0: Welcome to episode 17 of the INSTEC London podcast. This is Matthew Grant, one of the INSTEC London partners. This week, we're bringing you the panel discussion live from our event on the 29th of January in the Steelyard in London. And in a break from our usual format, this time we had the three of us as partners in Instat London, myself, Robin Mertens and Paolo Kumo, talking about what we've seen in 2018 in the area of InsurTech and what we're looking out for in 2019. We were delighted to have Mark Gagan, the executive editor of Insurance Insider, as our guest host. Uh, We also had a crammed Room on the evening, over 200 people in there, a very lively crowd with some fantastic questions. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy this. Good evening. So we're going to bring the panel together. Uh, We're delighted, as I said, to have have Gagan. Mark is well known in the insurance industry and like all good journalists, he doesn't um, pull his punches.
1: So let's just get cracking straight into it. was it a busy year? Are we really innovating? That's the first question. Is, is it's supposed to be all about innovation. Is there really innovation happening, Robin?
2: Yes. Uh, we're innovating in the sense that we've moved the dial. Um, are we truly digital? Are we ready for a digital model? Um, my sort of current thesis on this is that we're not doing enough, fast enough. I think that Customers expect far more from insurers these days than we're able to deliver, uh, and uh, I feel a little bit like a little bit like um, 2018 was a was a kind of year which we stalled. So, you know, InsureTech is only three or four years old. So at the start, it was um, careful, careful. InsureTech is going to disrupt you. The next year was all about. AI blockchain, all kinds of concepts. that No one knew quite what they did, but, you know, let's see what they can do. Last year, I think we really found out what was good and what wasn't good. Increasingly, you can see that people who are good are backable and biddable, and they raise money. But also what happened is that InsurTech and insurance started to partner. And I think that the consequence of being a partner is that people have got lazy. So now insurance companies are doing what they want to do. They're not really disrupting the model. They're adding a little product that does Uber drivers or something, but it isn't moving the dial. Uh, and I'm slightly worried now that disruption has gone off the table. I don't see people building full digital models. I don't see new, new products. I see a slightly comfortable scene returning.
1: What's so, it? So everyone's got sort of coupled up. And so they're not out on the pull anymore, Is what you saying? Um, <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, they should be. They should be. So uh, so I mean, I think it's right for you to say that, uh, 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 Matthew, is it really just all about, you know, we've seen the the successes uh, so far have been more about uh, companies making tools that help incumbents be better underwriters or better at processing their policies or or doing other things, and there doesn't seem to be anything that's genuinely trying to take over the world and generally digitise the whole thing, a full stack is that really the way it's going to be? Do you think? I mean, you know, there are companies that you've been involved in with Saitora, uh, for example, things that have had traction and, and, and adoption. But are they really radical enough? Is that, is that what
0: Robin's saying? Isn't it? I think. Yeah. No. I mean, that is going to be. I think the real question is when is it going to happen? You know, we all ex- we all expect and hope it's going to happen in twelve months. Uh, we'll get there. I think the question really is, is it going to be around this collaboration, or is it going to be around disruption? And I really do think that actually the only way to make change is really going to be disruption. I mean, people say Lemonade's a joke to some extent because they've raised over $100 million and they've got a fancy website and look at their loss ratio. But the reality is if you actually want to get out there and do something different, you probably do have to put a bunch of money at it. You have to get access to capital. You've got to market it. And actually that's probably not going to happen through an insurance company unless it decides it's going to set up its own unit and let it get on with it and, and go for it. So... Yeah, I think it's going to happen, but I I, I wouldn't want to say it's going to happen in the next 12 months.
1: Um, um, Well, Paolo, you've got to say something. So a credible, a very credible digital, full-stack insurance company, fully disruptive with its own capital has got to emerge at some point.
3: Yes, probably. I think, though, it's going to emerge emerge in Asia because that's where there's a real driver for change. And so there's a, a real opportunity, a little bit to what Robin said, for people just to sit on their laurels. Now that we've moved beyond the the sort of disruptive fear of the maybe sort of last couple of years into this sort of chummy, oh, well, actually, yeah, we can work with them. And to, and to Matthew's point, a lot of the, the more successful companies are those offering services, allowing incumbent insurers to, well, not just to feel that they're doing things in an innovative manner, but, you know, genuinely are. If someone's working with a site or a digital fine print, they're doing something genuinely different, and it's making a real difference behind the scene, but it's not changing the fundamental way that it works, and so that's not going to drive the, the creation of a full stack digital insurer here.
1: So, do you, sort, do you all agree that with this incumbent industry sort of technological stack, that this sort of you know rotting heap of different spaghetti that they've got, uh, that you can't do anything with it? Is that the point?
2: I, I, I'm quite clear on this. You know, lipstick on a pig doesn't do anything. Uh, everybody has a legacy stack. The legacy stack is the excuse. You know, so. I'd love to be able to innovate, but I've got this 1988 pile of crap that I use as a policy admin system, <laughs> you know? And, and, and then, there comes a, there's a second part to that, which is um, bring me new product ideas, followed by, have you got 10 years of historical data on how that would work? Well, no, because it's a new product idea, and I've, no one's ever done it before, you know? So if you put those two things together, I haven't got the infrastructure to do this, and my underwriters require a historical data set, you, you, you've got the mindset wrong right from the start. That's analog thinking with a kind of digital extension. It's not digital thinking. Um, I mean, I think that
1: would have been quite a lot of thought in the last couple of years that perhaps the best way of going about this would be to create some sort of super MGA. Is that? Is that? Do, you, do any of you think that's still the way to go, or is that not going to work?
0: Well, I mean, it's. I, Possibly if you find the right line of business to get into if you're trying to do an MGA It's going to come in and write commercial property insurance Then you're competing against a market that's pretty well established So you've got to figure out what do I have to offer as my MGA that I'm going to be better in every sense better distribution better pricing better risk management if however you decide that that yeah, the cannabis, the legal cannabis market in the U.S. is going to be 150 billion by 2025, and you're going to build an MGA to go and chase after the legal cannabis market. Then yeah, hey, you know, go and have fun and make a chunk of money because you found a uh, found a, a niche or not so niche business that you can really get behind. And so um, I, yeah, and that could be your mega MGA. But I just think you, the real challenge for everybody, whether it's tech or whether you're an established business, is you are pushing against a really strong existing market that you've got to displace, and you can't do that cheaply.
3: Can, can I just take us back to a couple of things Robin said? So I think yeah, IT is a good excuse. Yeah, I think we should be slightly careful beating people up um, because they say, oh, the IT doesn't let us do it. Because ultimately, at the same time, we're saying, look, you know, we want yeah, to, to use the data accurately, we want good reporting and things, and then we tell someone, hey, look, don't use IT as an excuse. Go and set it up over there. Yeah, how do you track it? So you know, that is a valid problem, but everyone needs to work harder. I think the, the point, however, oh, we don't have historic data, therefore we're not confident about pricing it, that isn't an acceptable excuse. You know, the, the, the point is that if you're a bold actuary, or you know, these days, as everyone's saying, well, do we replace actuaries with data scientists, there absolutely needs to be a way of being comfortable underwriting risks that you don't have 10 years of data for. And where the industry is shying away from that, I think it's less excusable.
1: Do you think... Um, yeah, Robin, I mean, do you think that surely technology is going to give you the answers to these, these problems. You won't need a 10-year loss record if you actually know everything about the risk.
2: Yeah, to do that, though, you need to change your current uh, profile of your underwriters, because if they're all analogue 55-year-olds who, who've done the spreadsheet for 35 years, then, then giving them you know, uh, the latest AI learning to tell them what the price of their cyber risk is just doesn't fly. So, so to some extent, you go back to the cultural problem there, Back to your super MGA problem, I would issue. I would be amazed if the companies that are have got a kind of a truly dynamic underwriting platform, a la Trove, Zigo, Flock, don't at some stage get bored with a model that says partnering up and growing exponentially, slowly with a company that gives me a bit of capacity is not what I came in to do, and and would. S- go after the capital and to enable them to write in their own, in their own name. I, I, would, I just feel this comfortable partnership model is not going fast enough for the really best insurtechs, and I think they will break out and go back to disrupting. So they'll have to make the leap. I,
3: I well, they, uh, yes, but do they, do they need to go full stack? You know, this comes back to what I think will be an interesting question over the next couple of years. Yes, they need, smarter, they need access to smarter capital than a classic carrier. I would agree with Robin on that. You know, But do they need to own it themselves, or do they need to look at all the other possible options for sourcing capital? And that's going to be a, a, an interesting question, because these are smart people. They've worked out how to attract customers. They've built a technology platform that works. The natural next question is how to get the best access to capital.
1: So SuperMJ is not actually a dead idea. Uh, if you're smart enough to be able to do everything that an insurance company does on a virtual basis and get the capital in uh, around the back door, you can probably do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Martin, you know, look, at, look at the ILS market. It's now worth $100 billion. The retro market for conventional insurance has gone. You know, as you said this morning at your event, you know, Lloyd's has kind of lost that whole ILS bit. So you know, for, the, for the industry to be able to find alternative forms of capital that don't actually need to do very detailed rigorous analysis, they need to do enough to know that they've got a good handle on their aggregation and diversification and can come in and undercut the conventional market. I mean, it, it took a while to get there, but it's, you know, it's definitely happened
1: um probably uh, with again with the mga thing i think about intermediary, you know being a super intermediary being a digital intermediary and being almost being that digital interface to the customer to the, to the commercial customer uh, and and representing that old incumbent capital and just letting them plug in at the back end um are there any other impediments to that i mean um i've heard it said that you know you can't actually make given in some of the classes that uh, that this new that insure tech is going after like uh gig economy you can't make the kind of money being you can't make enough money being an intermediary to make the business work is that correct do you think would is that a correct supposition
2: i, I think so because a, a lot of what the insure tech world has gone after is gadgets is a delivery driver for a day is you know and and the premium is ten pounds the commission is twenty it, It's two you know you've got to write a lot of you know business to 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 make that work and then if somebody excludes half of your business, you know one of the big problems is is if you're used to a data set that is an annual renewal basis and someone comes in and says "I'm doing it for a day then um you know, there are not enough people to be able to do it with and, and, and then there are a lot of exclusions. So by the time you've finished all that and you've, you've got 20 developers and you're burning, you know, a million pounds a, uh, a year on your development costs, you, 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 you do struggle to get out from under. And I, can, I, I would expect people to go after the risk itself, you know, at some point.
1: Um, Something else, obviously, that's been big in the last three years, obviously, uh, is uh, accelerators and incubators and all of that, obviously, and, you know, there was one, even one at Lloyd's. Um, uh, What's been the value of those? Uh, What's what's your assessment of them as three, three experts?
3: So I think they've been absolutely a necessary part of sort of the journey, excuse the expression. I think, you know, three or four years ago the incumbents who knew they needed to do something didn't know what they needed to do. And so the creation of a lot of these, even though there was a huge amount of fluff and drove a lot of sort of insure tourism where the cool thing was to drag the board off to, to Silicon Valley and they came back four days later, you know, with the new hoodie and a desire to do all their meetings standing up. Um, it, it, it was necessary. And, and what you see now is you look at those, those carriers who've worked out what they can do for themselves and they're doing it in-house, often much quieter. And, you know, there's, there's sort of innovation managers from the few of carriers sitting here who have as, you know, a good, if not better, knowledge than, than Matthew and Robin about every single startup out there. Then you've got those carriers who are still relying on a lot of these, these, these uh, sort of more generic industry incubators, and their time has passed, I think.
0: Thanks, Mark. I think mean, that's why we asked you to be here, was to ask uh, how do incubators compare to Winstead London. Um, you know, I think the question for anybody... <laughs> anybody getting involved in those uh, from the outside, so not so much as somebody getting on them, and, and I'm sure Eric Abrahamson can tell us the benefit that Digital Fine Print got from their multiple uh, accelerators and incubators journey. But I, you know, I think there's a lot that can be gained from events like this where you get exposure at very good value to uh, lots of companies and, and people. As, you know, I kind of wonder why companies pay vast sums of money to go to some of these incubators when you can turn up for free as a mentor. So I think Certainly there's value if you're going through that and you get the benefits. But if you're kind of sponsoring and supporting it from an outsider, that model is, is, it seems to be changing in terms of how, what, you know, what people are spending on, on those as a, a sort of insurance company.
2: So the days are numbered, you'd say? Uh, so I, I think they were good in what I call the curiosity years. You know, so when people were curious and needed to find out what was going on, join one of those and see a lot of startups you know, and learn. I think my uh, observation about 2018 was it was the year in which people started to make up their minds what accelerated incubators work, which conferences to go to, who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't know what they're talking about. You know, By now it's starting to fall out and I think that a lot of those incubators have good models but what they lack is true, true domain knowledge. The Domain knowledge is still very, very thin in insure tech and insurance. It's. There's,
3: you know, they used to be generic, and now there's there's horses for courses. And you know, if we do look at the, the Lloyd's Lab, which I know well, the value there of taking start-ups and putting them physically and sort of emotionally close to underwriters and brokers who may otherwise not engage with these start-ups, definitely, you know, is 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 a value. But I think to to the point that's made, it's. It's the discussion between the right people now in the market. And three years ago, the only way to help people even work out where EC3 was was to have a big banner saying incubator come this way. Now the right people know the right people, and it's the quality of the conversations, the ones that a lot of you have on evenings like this and come along, that is, is what's driving the person with the smart idea, the person with the need at the carrier, the broker who wants to do something different. They're already talking to each other.
1: I'm going to put the audience on notice that you should start uh, get ready to get involved in this conversation in a few minutes. But before that, I think you should get specific about some specific things that you've liked uh, uh, or not liked uh, in the last year, particular companies or, or anything, if you if you can, if you if you dare. Um, you
0: know what, what's been working what hasn't, in, in a much more specific sense. Well, you know, I'm a great fan of real revenue and real clients. So two companies that I work pretty closely with that have been building up new clients. One is Saitora, in the AI space, and they've established some really strong relationships um, with some you know, pretty healthy pricing, for those companies. Another one is, uh, is Nick Mayer at DQ Pro. Um, some of you may know Nick, but he's just got out there with a really small team and signed up nine companies in 12 months with a tool that basically does something very important but very simple, which is help people handle data, and' an example of you know there's different different ways of handling technology, but you can and, and building a business. you can get a large investment and you, you can go for it, and that's one correct model, or you can just get on with it and deliver something people want, bring the money in, prove it, iterate, and go from there. So those are my two companies to watch for uh, two thousand and
2: eighteen and two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. If you want to see who's backable, you look at where the money's going. And, you know, someone like um, Shift Technology can raise $40 million in a heartbeat because they're transforming the way which you do claims fraud technology, you know, analysis, and everybody wants it. Um, I think that's going to be really big. Uh, all those things which are machine learning, AI-driven, need two or three years to learn, and that two or three years is up, they start to look good <coughs> to me. I also really like things which are client end client backed I still think it's a failure of insure tech as a community that we haven't got we I bet we haven't got a single risk manager or end buyer of insurance in the room so that, that's just not happening and mesk came into the equation in marine you know 18 months ago and changed it single-handedly by saying I'm a customer and I'm going to tell you what I want to do what we're going to do therefore I mean I like the sort of Niall Barton type thing BMW in the room Building what BMW want him to build, you know that that's a model which just has to work. That's what the customer is telling us, the industry that they want.
1: And, and also, don't forget things that are coming up. There's still so much sort of dry powder out there, and so many, so much capital has been raised, and so much stuff has been developed. I mean, what's coming up in the pipeline as well? What...
3: Yeah, I mean, I th- absolutely agreeing with with Matthew and Robin. But what I think has been wonderfully concrete is the the individuals who were part of bigger organizations that in 2018 have finally really started to see what a difference they can make rather than just letting their enthusiasm be batted back so uh, I met a young man the other day who took his uh, time out to do a part-time masters and his focus was on the application of AI to nudge theory to get underwriters to overcome sort of the inherent biases that humans have now you know that's absolutely fundamentally you know, important if we say humans are going to continue to be part of the equation in complex underwriting for the, the next few years at least. And I'm sure if he had suggested that idea a couple of years ago, he'd have been you know, told to go away by whoever in HR said that's irrelevant. You know, he's fought his case, he's understood that and now the poor lad's got to try and work out how to get any underwriters to take him seriously, but at least he's soldiering on. So, you know, it, it sounds cliche to say that it's the rising talent that's really going to drive this but when you're sitting in a big incumbent insurer or a broker, you know, kudos for those of you who, instead of quitting and trying to do a startup, are trying to change things from inside.
1: And one more thing before we uh, open this up, uh, 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 we've got the founders of Instech here. We need to ask them what's actually. This is the first meeting of the year. Um, what's happening with Instech? And also, you got involved in this global alliance, didn't you? The global Inshortech Alliance, which is—is uh, is that really—is it called Gitter? Gitter. We or could it,
3: call it Gitter, couldn't Gita. we?
1: Uh, uh, what's that and what's that all about and is that doing anything or is it just one of these sort of um, vaporware things that happens sometimes uh, and also but what, anyway main things what, what are the plans for this year for instead what, what what's are people out here gonna expect from all of you guys
2: we, we can do vaporware as well as anyone in the industry <laughs> uh, I've made a career on it um, so uh, look there are a lot of groups like us uh, in Munich and Cologne in Singapore Hong Kong wherever and they're all communities um uh, and uh the theory which i 'm um, sh- believe confidently will be supported in two thousand and nineteen is that uh, there is a potential in putting all that together the ability for the industry to be able to say what is happening all over the world, which startups should I be following not in London but globally, so that we could unite our intelligence and our knowledge and our uh you know and and I think that um, you know that is insurance is a global business. I don't think why insure tech would not be global with it. Uh, and then the other thing that I think we will try and do here in uh, in Institute London is create um, a hub, a physical manifestation of our own. I, I would really like the ability to put together a 20, 25 seats where people coming down from Leeds and Manchester for the day would be able to join a pre-existing network where people came in from Australia for a week would have a place to sit. Just oil the wheels of a Networker community where we would, you know, where where they could meet like-minded people and be part of something.
0: Great. Yeah. So plug and play. Look out, Robin's Got his uh, his yeah. eyes on you. I, I'd say, Mark. You know, f- we've got, now got a fantastic community, and thank you for all your support. And many people find real value in these in these events through partners, capacity, capital, investors, the rest of it. Uh, we're going to look for ways to actually make that happen. Outside of the regular events we're doing we're going to be continuing with our monthly events. We're doing private events now Um, We want to find a way so you can actually engage with each other either through us or or directly uh, In a more effective way outside of just being in these physical events
3: Thank you. Yes, so just to to repeat the global point I think and you know, this is why the the Gitter initiative is important because there's an awful lot to learn from elsewhere. It's very, very easy to read the various blogs and newsletters that come out of the US and there's a lot of people flying transatlantic uh, all the time to see what's going on. But I do see that what's happening in Asia is phenomenally important for us to learn from. And it's not particularly easy if you're sitting here in EC3 to, to know that. So where we can play a role in many ways doing what we've sort of achieved over the first few years of the last four of really bringing together people who were maybe only a few hundred yards apart but didn't know each other And if we can turn that global, if we can get the right people and the right ideas from Hong Kong, from China, from Malaysia, then I think that's going to be of infinite value to people in this room. So come on,
4: put your hands up main question is around the international vision. What do you really want to create? Do you want to create more of a global alliance for people to be coming in, going out? Do you want to help startups get out on the global stage? Or what's the vision for the international um, endeavors?
2: The idea first came when when the InsureTech Alliance from Australia sent a cohort over last year. They they sent 10. came with 10 insurance companies, 10 startups. And we matched them up with 10 insurance companies, 10 startups. And it was an incredibly successful event. You know, and, and then out of those two or three have come along and said, "We're going to open in the UK." You know, well, we know a lot of people we can introduce them to. We can give them some space for six months. We can, you know. So if I sort of follow that, you know, line of inquiry, then then the ability to oil the wheels for other tech organisations inbound, I think, is very powerful. And I know that those who consult in the space, so, who want to know what's going on, who want access to the best startups, who want to be able to write strategy around what's really going on. Don't look at what's happening in EC3 to write that. They need to write that on a global basis, what's happening around the world with insurance. You know, And if we could, with a drop of a hat, say to ten organisations, tell us what is happening in your part of the world, we're going to collect that together, we're going to pass it off to somebody else. That's a big extension to what we're doing right now. More questions? Come on, put your hands up.
0: Hi, guys. I was wondering, given what you've seen during 2018, is... 2019 the year for some real traction in blockchain the axa uh, uh, excel blockchain question um, <laughs> i actually was listening jenny to Helene stanway's podcast this morning with nigel um, walsh and i think with the you know, she's explained it really well with the maersk blockchain example and i, I guess it's one of the simplest ways that she explained blockchain which is basically in that situation you put data up there onto blockchain, it's up to date, you know, because Merck put it up there, it's the right answer, but they also the discussion was also, do you need blockchain? And the answer is, you don't need it, but if, the right, if it helps facilitate an existing solution, then go for it. If you've got blockchain and you're trying to figure out what you do with it, then no, 2019 is probably not, but it's not gonna be the year you'll figure it out. Hello,
2: I'm called James Paul, and I'm currently fundraising for a startup. Raise um, your hand, and we'll take
3: a commission if you match this evening. <laughs> But in all seriousness, yeah, there's been a number of people who've come up at the end of the evenings um, that, that we run normally, and on their 30-second pitch who, I mean, Robin, you have the statistics in your head, but proper money has been raised on the back of those type of links. Proper employees have been employed. The, you know, the network is so valuable. So you know, kudos to you for being brave enough to ask the question.
4: Hi there, my name is uh, Christian Ruford. I'm coming from this industry from a sideways perspective, so I haven't been in, in it for a long time and my question was about innovation what strikes me looking from the outside in is that insuretech innovation seems to be long on product innovation you know as you said you know uber driver insurance for one day or cybersecurity in insurance blah 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 but at the same time you look at this industry and it has this fairly complex intricate and fairly old school value chain of different players, and actually if you look at, call it process innovation, value chain innovation, value chain disruption, there's actually very little happening. Um, my question is, do you agree with that assessment and do you expect that to change?
0: Well, just one angle to that, and I'll let Robin jump in a minute. but. Part of the challenge, I think, is if you look on the corporate buyer, of so the big enterprises and who's buying insurance, is that the traditional buyer in a corporation is the risk manager, quite low in the organisation, very risk-averse, very little budget. Their job is to go out and buy insurance. And if you really want to change the industry, then you need to get the corporations thinking differently about how they're going to buy insurance and how about doing their own risk mitigation. Because without that pressure, then it's the risk manager is going to be businesses as usual, and we've seen some examples, Maersk is, is one, a few others, but I think to really drive change from that angle, we can talk a little bit about what it means in insurance companies, but to drive change from the outside, it's gonna require com- the corporations themselves to really feel that insurance is, is actually worth the CFO spending time on and not just delegating it down to somebody a few levels down in the organization.
2: There's no room for all the people in the current value chain. You know, there, are, there are just too many players. And Lloyd's would be the first to admit that, with a, uh, you know, with 45% of whatever the latest number is, but 45% of the total premium disappears in, in commission before it gets to Lloyd's. That's a non-sustainable model. Now, that's a given. W- what it is, you can, There has to be, therefore be a turf war. So, you know, Munich Re of this world stand up and say, right, well, I'm going to start to write this stuff at s- source. But uh, until that turf war manifests itself in a way that people lose a lot of business that they would otherwise have got. They'll just carry on with the old models. And, and that, I could, that is happening faster and faster and faster. And what's going to drive that is ecosystems. I mean, I hate the word, but it's, it's one of the big things of 2019. You watch... People who control 100,000 customers come in and say, I have the data that I can do insurance and I want to find a partner to do insurance with, and that's data that used to go through an SME broker onto an MGA onto a... And, you know, I think that's what's going to move the dial in 2019. Ecosystems are going to say, I have 100,000 customers. Who wants them?
1: This time for one
3: more at least, I'd say.
4: Hi guys, Um, my question is in reference to the comments on
3: China. Why do you think that China is uh, sort of more likely to deliver change in
2: 2019?
3: So I think the the Chinese market from an insurance point of view is interesting in a number of ways. One, there's an awful lot of people, so therefore there's an awful lot of data for the people who like playing with data. There's also, should we say, more lax approaches to how one can handle data. Now that obviously means Things that are done there can't necessarily be transplanted into the US or Germany or the UK, but you can absolutely learn in ways that you you tend not to be able to do, in in, certainly in personal lines insurance, in many of the markets we're used to operating in. Also, insurance hasn't existed for many people as a product in the way that it has in the UK. However much people complain about the way they buy their car insurance and the home insurance, they continue to buy it in the same way, and that's one of the challenges for startups, is just getting the, the consumers to say, oh, I'll go and buy differently rather than renewing, knowing that I've read in the paper that I'm paying £200 a year more just because I haven't bothered looking around. When you're starting to offer a product in a market that's never had a product, you can do all sorts of things. And when you apply a technology overlay to that, then I think there's all sorts of interesting ideas. And we need to look at which are relevant and which aren't. But we're daft if we're continuing just trying to innovate from talking to people around us. We need to look beyond
0: Hi, guys. Um, on the other side of the equation from the startups, who do you think is doing anything particularly interesting on, on the incumbent side, broker or underwriter? And in particular, is there anyone beyond the, the sort of usual suspects that's caught your eye recently? Yeah, I think it's been interesting to see what happens with, with Hyperion. Now, they've, they've launched Hyperion X and they've put a, you know, a CEO from one of the businesses into developing that. I think you get companies like Score that are, you know, are doing quite a lot beneath the radar. They don't feel the need or they want to go and talk about it. Um, but you know, other than ones that we kind of tend to talk about a lot, I, I think all of us really struggled. You know, if we're not hearing about it, then it's, it's actually probably not, it's probably not happening.
2: You know, From our point of view, we see a lot of innovation. And then we have, to, we, have the, we have the, can you help me? Well, this sounds like a really good idea. Who do I take it to? You know, and and that, that's, a, that's a really tough question because there's a circularity to that. We will take it to the people who do the very best innovating and who did the really good job on the last one we, we took it to. You know, so right now I think that's really difficult because I've worked really hard on a whole bunch of smart ideas through 2018 that all came to nothing, and and you know I'm starting to say to myself where where do I take this stuff? And and I, that's my, sort of leads to my observation that I I think that it's not quite as exciting a territory as it was a year earlier. I don't think budgets are as high. I don't. Th- I think that people have gone back slightly to retrenching. And most of all I get this you know I get very exercised by the idea that nobody is building a digital model of the future. Everybody is retrofitting, you know, lipstick on a pig. And that, that's a non-sustainable long term. You've had 20 years to think about this. You know, get on with it.
0: So just one thing to add to that. just you know one one way that anybody who's working in an insurance company can help is so often we hear the story of people that are doing some great work. They've got a POC going. They want to go and publicise it because it helps them get other business, and the company just clamps down on it and won't let them talk about it, whether it's the legal department or the marketing department or somebody else. So, I guess one, you know, innovation with a small i would be for any of you working in an insurance company that know of sort of innovation and some really great things going on. Please do try and find a way to talk about it and don't just you know seal or, or, or sort of put an embargo on anything being mentioned. Either for competitive reasons or just some sort of over caution from the point of view of your legal department, because that is what is, supplies the oxygen for companies getting growth if they know other people know that they're, they're working with them.
1: We're done now. Yeah, well, bring your hands together and uh,
0: give these people a round of applause. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as we enjoyed our discussion. We'll be back for our next podcast episode with the second half of the evening which got even more lively as we heard from some of the leading figures in insurance and innovation. In the meantime you can find out what we're up to by going to our website www.instec.london and by subscribing to our newsletter you can be sure to catch up on the new events as they come out. Thanks to our sponsors CPP and Crow for that evening and also to our gold sponsors MS Amelin and 90 Consulting.